And we're back. We are indeed. Welcome back to Line Noise. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Cardew. And this is Barcelona. This is a podcast about electronic music. And today we're going to talk a bit about Fever Ray. Yes. You've been uh, deep into the her new album. Deep diving into it, yeah. Uh, it was surprise released uh, round about uh, the end of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Fever Ray album, Plunge. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? Uh, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's really fantastic. I'm, I mean, I'm a fan in general of Fever Ray and the Knife, um, and it's, it's. You've heard it, yeah. I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely Fever Ray. It sounds very much like her. It's the the voice. It's she's got the similar sort of synths going on, um, but it's just it's weirder. It's more tumultuous. It's more dissonant. Um, it's uh, it's more some some of the vocals are uh, some of the lyrics are sort of scandalous. Um, there's some swearing we can't do here on on our podcast. Um, it, yeah, it's weird and it's a lot of fun. Scandalous in what way? I mean, without uh, well, there's breaking off. There, yeah, I mean, so the last record, I didn't even really know this at the time. I mean, I'm not kind of a big lyrical um, interpreter or listener, so. With the first Fever Ray record, what I really enjoyed was just the sound of it. You know, the, the synthesizer, she uses a lot of fifths, um, which I find very interesting. So the, the the fifth, the perfect fifth, I mean, it's an interesting tonality. It creates this, just a sense of openness. Um, it's, it's a chord that doesn't resolve. It doesn't need to resolve. It's consonant. And she uses that in a way that... Um, it's, it's kind of reassuring. I, like in my review, I said that listening to Fever Ray makes you feel strangely invincible. Mm. Um, and she always used a lot of pitch shifting on her voice and, and things like that to kind of make it stranger. But anyway, the, the last album to me was this kind of welcoming cocoon of, you know, dark, uh, dark sounds. Um, and if you dug into the lyrics, it was very much about motherhood. She had, yeah. she had had, I think both of her kids by that point, and she in a review she said she'd spent the past six months kind of stir crazy living in Sweden. It's winter, it's dark. She said it was very lonely being a, a young mother in Sweden or a new mother in Sweden because you don't see many people. You're kind of cooped up in your right. apartment because you don't want to go outside. It's cold. Exactly, yeah. and so it was kind of her stuck in her head and and kind of and it was about and even like I actually didn't know she was a mother until I was going back through the lyrics from her debut album and I was like, wait a minute, this must be about parenthood. This this lyric has to be, as a parent myself, I recognized like this has to be about parenthood and so I Googled Karen Dreyer's yeah. mother and I was like, ah, yes, she has two kids. Um, so the new record is not, motherhood and, and families and stuff figures quite a bit but the new record is really, it's about desire and, and sexual desire um, in very strong ways and um yeah and that and that really drives the record in 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 it, and it gives it a totally different kind of sense than previously i have got to say that i probably preferred the two fever ray records to the two last knife records i think what fever ray does at the moment is more it's experimental but kind of there's almost a pop edge to it, you know, and I actually think it works better than than the knife. What is your favorite knife album? Silent Chant. Okay, me too. I mean, 
that it's kind of a no-brainer, right? I would think so. I don't think anyone's going for their, their opera, which actually I did <laughs> like, but <laughs> I don't want to be rude because I actually did like that. Tomorrow in a day by a mile. Um, but I think the last Knife album that I hardly listened to and the weird life performances, obviously it got people very excited. But I just think in a way that when you listen to this new Fever Ray record, you kind of almost see what the Knife have been lacking. Is so that harsh? I agree with you, but I do want to just pause here and shout out the last Knife album because when it came out at the time, I remember it got like a lot of fairly fawning press. Maybe fawning is the wrong word. A lot of positive press. I appreciate it. Um, I interviewed them around that time. I reviewed the album for Spin. Um, and I haven't listened to it much since. And I do remember kind of around the time, even since then, people saying like, Oh yeah, that knife album that everybody supposedly loved and nobody has ever listened to again. And there was a kernel of truth to that because I didn't really listen to it after I filed my pieces. So researching the new uh, Fever Ray record and just kind of like preparing to review it, I went back to that last knife album. And you know what? It's kind of awesome. Like it holds up. It's really, it doesn't have the pop edge that the new Fever Ray does or the old Fever Ray. Um, it's it's not a pop record, but at the same time, like it totally holds its own, um, and I think, I I think it's gonna be sort of vindicated in the long run that like, yeah, it w- it was as good as those reviews said that it was. Okay, did you see them play on that tour? I did at Primavera Sound, and you saw it, right? I didn't. No. Um. Children. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was. Um, Knife shows are weird, right? Because like there's the sort of, there's always the question of like, are they or are they not actually playing? Um, I don't remember it super well. I remember dancers and choreography and it was very vibrant. Um, It was fun. But there was a lot of debate, wasn't there, over whether it was actually live? Well, that's always been, the even with Silent Shout, there was the debate o- over whether it was actually live. I think the Silent Shout, it was them in the crow masks. Yeah. And they had, I think, like glow stick drumsticks. And I mean, yeah, it didn't seem, I mean, certainly there was nobody on stage with a laptop or a synthesizer or anything. Does that bother you? Not really. I mean, because like most laptop sets aren't terribly live anyway. You know what I mean? Like right. they they put on a spectacle, they did... A, a good job of it and that you know it was something to watch and it was something to enjoy and that music sounds amazing on a loud system so that's good enough for me now i did see their opera uh tomorrow in a year mm-hmm. um in london and i really enjoyed it actually um it wasn't a knife gig um i don't know if they were there there were any part of the people actually playing the music um and it was very, very avant-garde. There's only one song that you sort of actually felt recognized be like the knife, but I really enjoyed it um, as an opera. I don't get a lot of opera, I, I think, but um, I thought it really worked. I very recently remembered that I actually DJed for the knife uh, at the opening of their Silent Shout tour in New York City. Um, I don't know however many years ago because the, the club that they played at I think Webster Hall just shut down right. recently and when I heard that name Webster Hall I was like wait a minute I've been there I've DJed there and it was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had good strange good or yeah I guess so it was I was in New York for something else and I don't even know how it came about but it was like a friend of mine who's a 
booking agent or a manager sort of got in touch with me. It was like the knife needs somebody to open for him. <laughs> Can you do it? I, I mean, which is weird because I'm like not like, let's say that tier of person. And, but somehow it, it happened and they, so of course I said yes. And I believe it was even two shows in the same night, which I literally have no recollection of at right. all. It's only recently I reread a blog post I read at the time and it referred to like two shows in, in the same evening. And I was like, that's weird. But the, I just remember like not really knowing what they wanted me to play. I never spoke to them or met them right. or anything. And I was told it was either they wanted minimal or ambient. I don't remember what it was. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what that means. And I went out because I was in New York. I didn't have any of my records with me. And this was before, like long before, you know, CDJs or USBs yeah. or anything like that. So I went to other music in Kim's video and I spent like $300 on records, many of which I already owned. Um, I think I must've burned some CDs of music I had on my hard drive, but it was really like, Oh my God, I, yeah, yeah. I need to. And, um, and then I remember getting to the, to the venue and they didn't have needles. Like they no they, so like needles in New York as a DJ, you're supposed to bring your own, which I didn't know, Are you? but they, yeah, but then they like, they lent me some, but they didn't have slip mats. And I remember like, like 10 minutes before the doors were to open and I was supposed to start playing me like creating my own slip mats out of like the plastic inner sleeve of a record. Yeah, it was, it was, it was wild. Did it go down well? There was like no, I, I was literally the opening DJ in the sense of like, I played for whatever, 45 minutes or something while the crowd was kind of filling in. Right. I mean, it's like a rock show style yeah. of opening DJ. Yeah. It wasn't a like a dance party. Like I literally got no, I was, wasn't even on stage. I was up back kind of behind the soundboard in the, in the rafters somewhere. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just to have gotten to do that was pretty wild. But it, it, here's an interesting thing that makes me think about the knife is that, they, when they toured around that time, they were playing, what, 1,000, 2,000 capacity venues, roughly? Yeah. I don't know what Webster Hall is. I've never never been, but... That not, sounds right. Yeah, not not that big. And then when they came back, um, it suddenly seemed like they were massive. It was weird. It was sort of like out of almost nothing. They'd become this incredibly large group, which I, I found quite surprising. I, I, I surprised by how... Not because they're not good, because they very much are, but I'm almost surprised by the amount of excitement they create. You wouldn't really expect them to be as popular as they are, right? No, 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 no. Or to get the acclaim. I mean, I remember when they played London, it was one of those, you know, people manning the phone lines, had three browsers open trying to get tickets, and no one got tickets, you know. And, okay, it's London, there's, there's a lot of people there, a lot of music fans, but at the same time, I didn't really expect that at all for The Knife. So Andrew Rice um, from Resident Advisor, love Andrew, uh, said on Twitter yesterday that he always felt like the first Fever Ray record was electronic music for people who don't really like electronic music. I think that's harsh. Yeah, I didn't think it was really, love Andrew, didn't really think it was fair. I didn't, I, I, I don't agree with it to me. I, there's a lot of records I think that about, but Fever Ray didn't really feel that way to me. However, to continue our thread, like I I am surprised that so many people are passionate about the knife because they're quite weird. They are, yeah. I mean, they don't make a lot of concessions. I mean, we're talking about Fever Ray as almost being 
the pop side of the night. Right, right. And it's a pretty weird record. I mean, it's got choruses and, and lyrics and that kind of thing, but it's a pretty weird record. And In even, the, I mean, our favorite record, the Silent Shout, I mean, that's a record of like basically sort of trance riffs. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the other thing is, I mean, that, that kind of comment, I like electronic music and I like that record. I, I, and I like the knife. I don't see how that works. Well, I guess it's, it's sort of like, uh, I remember maybe even feeling this way a little bit about The Field, who I think I like more now than I even used to in his time. Like, But The Field is somebody who, who, who electronic music people like, but who really connected with people outside of electronic music in an even bigger way. You know, The Field, there was a time when Pitchfork would probably not review a lot of electronic music, but somebody like The Field would get covered there and people, maybe this is an American perspective. I think maybe for Brits, it's a bit different, but in America, there was a period where like kind of mainstream indie leaning audiences didn't listen to anything electronic, but they definitely had M83 and they definitely bought the field. And I think those are the same people that probably then bought Fever Ray. And that's probably what Andrew's talking about. Okay. I get that. I can get that. Um, one vague problem I have with Fever Ray and when we discuss this is uh, Vikings ah the TV show History Channel's Vikings uh, I well Netflix's Vikings I don't okay. know uh, the, that, that series um, which had If I Had a Heart as its uh, theme tune and I did not enjoy Vikings one bit. I mean, I watched two series of it and I did not How enjoy it. How could you not enjoy that <laughs> show? not very good. It's That's one of my favorite shows of the past several years. Seriously. I, I tell you what, I thought Floki? it... Floki? You didn't like Floki? No, I did not like... Oh, you didn't like his eye makeup at least? I mean, he's pretty hot, but you know, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Um... Oh, no, that's the, the other bloke, the boat maker, isn't it? Floki's the crazy, the, you know... Oh, he's so overplayed. One. Oh, but I, 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 I now can't disassociate if I had a heart from, from Vikings. Well, in my, in my review for Pitchfork, I actually said that, that she was in, Fever Ray was a natural choice for the opening titles because it's so atmospheric. And if anything, it was kind of lazy on the, on the music supervisor's part because it's so, I mean, you could put her over like a laxative commercial and it would make it seem atmospheric, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's, her music is so intense. Um, I mean, Vikings, just like minor aside, I think it's a great show. It's like, uh, there's like this really awesome kind of feminist subtext um, that we won't get into Vikings because this isn't a Vikings podcast. Although maybe next (laughs) I'll find a new podcast partner to do a Vikings podcast because I love that show. Um, And what do you think about Olaf? I mean, he does stuff as Oni Ayun. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you're a big fan of, right? Yeah, I love Oni Ihun. I mean, I remember that stuff coming out before, I, th- I think before anybody even knew who it was. It was just like one of those anonymous things at Hard Wax. Um, I bought all the records at the time. One, I remember one of them was like a single-sided record with like an engraving and etching on the B-side. Um, he did the whole kind of mysterious techno vinyl-only guy thing for, for a long time. Um, yeah, and his, his solo stuff is great. I mean, it's super... They're weird. They're like some of them are like twelve or fifteen minute tracks. Some of them are really, really slow. Um, they're very psychedelic. They're these just like knob twisting machine jams, um, kind of primal in a way. I mean, there's definitely a link to the knife stuff. Um, I I wish he would do more of that. I, I miss those records. He seems to be. I, I kind of wonder what he does when you know um, Karen is off doing Fever Ray. 
Um, what's he doing? I mean, he hasn't produced that many solo records. No, no. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, I think he keeps a low profile. I would assume they do okay in terms of, um, you know, residuals or, or royalties or whatever. I was trying to figure out if Fever Ray is actually more popular than The Knife. And it's hard to say, but like looking at streams on Spotify, I feel like she actually might be a little bit. But is there a big spike for If I Had a Heart? Um, if I Had a Heart is less popular than Heartbeats. I think right. Heartbeats was like 34 million on Spotify, and If I Had a Heart was, let's say, like 22 million or something like that. But that's not bad, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't suck. Um, but then if you looked at, but then after Heartbeats, there was like a pretty big drop off. Right, right, right. Whereas for Fever Ray, her first album, like, almost everything on that track was in the millions up to eight or nine million. So like people are like pretty devoted to that record. It'll be interesting to see what people make of the new record because, you know, it's quite weird. There's, it's quite strident in places. There's the, there's some lines that I can't really say because we, we, we go out on iTunes we're and so we have to watch our, we're family friendly, but I want to run my fingers up your, uh, yeah. you know, like um, it was, I wanted to see what people made of that line. Cause that was off the, the first single that, that came out from the album. And I just like put that um, phrase into the Twitter search. At first I didn't do it in quotation marks and I found a lot of stuff that I didn't want yeah, to find. Bet, yeah. Didn't want to find, but then I did it in quotation marks and it, everything was fine. And it was just basically a lot of people like somebody was like, I almost spit my coffee out. You know, it's like somebody was like, I felt really old and I blushed. And, you know, it's it's not what you expect from uh, from Karen Dreyer. This kind of there's another um, there's a song, This Country. And the one of the like the lines is this house makes it hard to. Uh, F. Yeah. This country makes it hard to F. And it's like, and she's just shouting it out. Um, but I suppose one of the things about both Fever Ray and The Knife is that although people know who they are, they're still quite anonymous. And in fact, although uh, Karen appears on the front of the new album, um, all right, she's sort of wearing blood makeup. You can kind of see her, even though she's still quite anonymous it's quite interesting oh yeah i would never recognize her on the street or anything which i think gives them freedom to say what they want and kind of to do what they want something i think is really interesting about this record is i mean the knife have always had a fairly close um circle i mean it's really just been the two of them yeah with the opera they had mount sims and planning to rock i mean they've kind of gradually opened it up um you know, they've, they've had some interesting remixes over the years. Um, but Fever Ray has really been her own project with maybe a couple of producers, Pe- Peter Mannerfeld. I forget if there was somebody else on the first Fever Ray album. But on this one, she's got a few more people involved. Paula Temple, the Berlin techno person, does um, co-produces a few tracks. Um, there's a Berlin kind of electropop artist named Tammy T who's on one. Um, Dina Abdel-Wachel, the Abdel Wahed, who's a, a Tunisian producer, I think, is is on one track, um, and then Nidia, who's this Portuguese uh, Batida producer from the Principe Discos label, does one track, which is like the one of the best tracks on the record. It's like 150 BPM. It's this wild kind of double time thing, and and it's interesting to see how Karen is is reaching out to other collaborators and you know, and sort of teasing out the, the edges of her sound. But it's cohesive. 
That's what's impressive. Right, exactly, with all exactly. of these different producers, it's still cohesive. It still works as an album. It's unmistakable as anything other than a Karen Dreyer album. So, uh, in your albums of the year, where's it going to fit? Oh, it's it's. I mean, that's a tricky one because there's always the sort of the the end of the year discoveries end up going maybe either higher than they they land high, and then you're like, oh, maybe I should bump this down because yeah, I don't know where it's going to land actually, but it but it's. It's definitely going to be on my end of year list. It'll it'll rank probably pretty high. I think it's a it's it's really strong. I think it is probably in the long run a stronger album than her debut. Higher or lower than twelve? Twelve. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Wait, what's twelve? I don't know. Twelve just occurred. Oh, 12, the number oh, on yeah, my yeah. list. I thought you meant an album called twelve. No, 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 no. Twelve. <laughs> in between eleven and thirteen, that that number. <laughs> Uh, no, it's 12. It's definitely going to be 12. Okay, okay. You heard it here first. Yes. Uh, would you like to start off? What's your recommendation? Uh, yeah, mine Mine is uh, a new track by Avalon Emerson. It's called One More Fluorescent Rush. It's on Whitey's, which is uh, Nick Tasker's label out of London. Um, yeah, and it's 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 great. It's, um, it's very... Avalon Emerson has... She can do a lot of different things. I mean, she, she's kind of stylistically... She Every record is... Is a little bit different. Um, some are more sort of house. Some are more techno. Some are more break beaty. Her her DJ sets have a similar sense of range. But the this new record, I find it very very focused. It's got um, just like a very compelling central arpeggio. Um, the drums are are really they take a back seat. There's not a lot of drums in it, um, and it's kind of psychedelic and it just cycles and it's. Uh, yeah, it's very hypnotic. Maybe we can take a listen to it and then we can talk about it some more. So this is One More Fluorescent Rush. I really enjoyed about that song is it really lives up to its name one more fluorescent yeah. rush. it's really fluorescent it's quite trancey and I'm not uh, a fan of trance music I think we can say but that kind of manages it's very uh, upbeat it's very psychedelic it is quite trancey but not in a sort of dumb way I guess yeah 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 but you know what I'm what I like more than one more fluorescent rush the b-side the b-side uh, finally, some common ground. <laughs> I don't think we're going to find common no, ground. No, no, no. <laughs> because I, 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 I thought I thought the A side was really good, but I thought 
the B-side was really intriguing, a really strange song, a really lots of weird noise, a bit like the the Joe record we talked about last huh, time. Huh. I really like house techno that uses weird noises, but not necessarily loud noises, but kind of strange, weird, quite funky noises, and there's a lot of bursts of sub-bass that I really like as well. It's funny because really like the first, the A-side hooked me so thoroughly from the beginning that I've... I haven't listened to the B-side much. Like, I, I'm trying to summon it in my mind right now, and I'm actually having trouble because I've listened to the A-side so much. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really curious now, now that you've recommended it, to, to go back to it and see if there's something that I'm missing there. It's got... <clears throat> maybe it's just one of those songs that really appeals to my uh, sensibilities. It's got really good drums, really kind of understated but quite swinging drums. Um, and as I say, lots of weird noises, which I like. Let's give it a little run. Okay. Finally, some common ground. Or not. Ben, what do you have for us this week? So, my recommendation is uh, a song by Stephen Rutter, who you will always, uh, you will never to be know, is a member of B12. Okay. And as you know, I'm a massive fan of B12, who are one of those sort of seminal IDM groups uh, who released on Warp uh, back in the day. Uh, kind of Detroit techno-influenced, the crossover between Detroit techno and IDM, released on the Artificial Intelligence series, a fantastic group. And one who, to be honest, I sort of stepped off. Mm -hmm. My fault. I didn't didn't realise they they were still going. I think they started putting out music again in um, the 2000s. Um, and I didn't realize this until they, they recently did, um, a reissue of their debut album, Electrosoma, and they did Electrosoma and Electrosoma too. And I really, cause Electrosoma was one of my favorite electronic music albums. And I, when I realized this, this was coming up with Electrosoma too, I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to see what they've been up to. And in fact, he's been releasing stuff for, uh, a number of years, solo stuff, and as B12 as well. Um, and it's been really good. And this kind of came into my inbox. Uh, it's an EP called From Me To You on his own Firescope Records. And it's got that perfect B12 sound. It's kind of Detroit techno-ish, a little bit IDM. It's got a motion. Uh, it's got melody. It's got everything you would want. And it's just a great tune. And it's really good to see someone back. You know, someone that you thought was maybe not making music anymore. Uh, you thought that maybe their years were behind them. And in fact, they're still making music. And it sounds just like B12. And that is in no way criticism. Because I don't really want them to go, you know, drum and bass. Or or, or, or to go sort of, you know, to get a mood to swing remix or whatever it is. I, I just want them to sound like that. Because it's very emotional. And what they do the impact is not necessarily in 
clever new production. It's in the melodies. Well, it's let's take a listen to it and uh, talk about it some more. That was Stephen Rutter with Down and Down. As you can hear, the melodies are there, the crystalline production is there. It's a beautiful piece of music. In a way, what it reminds me of actually is um, Larry Hurd's recent stuff. I guess it's Mr. Fingers, like um, the uh, Quasars. Um, this this the sense of like taking a very classic sound, taking a sound that they've done forever, but but twisting it up just enough that it still sounds fresh and new but but still classic exactly you can tell you can see that lineage from what yeah. they, they always used to do um uh, but it still sounds fresh it doesn't sound like some sort of something left over from from 20 years no, ago. no exactly it sounds I, like necessary right it sounds like like there's a reason for it to be coming out now exactly exactly yeah so that's this episode um Thank you for listening. We will uh, hopefully be back again before too long without taking a five-month break like we did earlier this year. We're not going to move house again. Well, I'm not going to move house again. I hope not. Who knows on my end. Um, Send us an email. Drop us a line. Linenoisepodcast at gmail.com. Linenoisepod on uh, Twitter. We've got a Facebook page. Do get in touch. We love people getting in touch. Yeah, follow us on social media. And um, thank you for listening. Good night. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.